This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM, 103.1 FM, WMET, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Review Radio, we're talking with George Weigel, author of The Next Pope, a new book that discusses the challenges the next Roman pontiff will face. George Weigel, a distinguished senior fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, is a Catholic theologian and one of America's leading public intellectuals. He holds EPPC's William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies. From 1989 through June 1996, George was president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, where he led a wide-ranging ecumenical and interreligious program of research and publication on foreign and domestic policy issues. In June 1996, he began working on a major study of the life, thought, and action of Pope John Paul II, which resulted in Witness to Hope, the biography of Pope John Paul II, published in the fall of 1999. It's since been translated into 14 languages. Mr. Weigel is the author or editor of 27 books, including The End and the Beginning, Pope John Paul II, The Victory of Freedom, The Last Years, and The Legacy. His essays, op-eds, and columns and reviews appear regularly in major opinion journals and newspapers across the United States. For our listeners, George grew up in Baltimore, and he received a Bachelor of Arts from St. Mary's Seminary and University in Baltimore, and a Master's Degree from the University of St. Michael's College in Toronto. The Next Pope, The Office of Peter and a Church in Mission, was released in July. Welcome to the show, George. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you again. In the book, you mentioned that Pope Francis's successor will be different from previous popes in that he will not have been shaped in the same way by the Second Vatican Council that his predecessors were. What do you mean by that, and why is that significant? It's significant because uh, John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and now Pope Francis were all formed as, as young church leaders by the experience of the Second Vatican Council. John Paul II and Benedict XVI directly, they were both major figures at Vatican II. Uh, John Paul II is the Archbishop of Krakow, Benedict XVI is a theological advisor and, and one of the architects of several of the documents of Vatican II. Uh, Pope Francis was a young uh, Jesuit uh, superior in the turbulent years immediately following the council. Whoever the next pope is, and I'm not in the speculation business in this book, uh, this book is an agenda, not a handicapping horse yeah. racing form. Whoever the next pope is, he won't have had that experience. Uh, the next pope will likely have been a teenager, maybe even a child at the time of the Second Vatican Council. So he will have lived a thoroughly post-conciliar experience of the church. That means that we're heading into uncharted territory. And that's why I thought it would be useful to reflect upon the future of the church and the future of the papacy through the prism of the experience of these three popes, John Paul II, 
Benedict and Francis, whom I have had the privilege of knowing personally, being in extensive conversation uh, with each of them. Uh, and so I thought I would try to bring that to bear in a reflection on, on the future. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that many of the cardinal electors will also fit into that same mold of people who were, are, are mostly post-conciliar. What qualities do you think that the Holy Spirit and the cardinal electors in the conclave will be looking for in the next pope? Well, there, there are, there's a mega question here, if you will. It's very clear after the past 50 years that there is a living Catholicism in the world, and, and there's frankly a dying Catholicism. The living Catholicism around the world, whether we're talking about various parts of the United States, shreds, sprouts of new Catholic life in Europe, the, the vibrant church in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, wherever the church is living, it's because it has embraced the interpretation of Vatican II offered by John Paul II and Benedict XVI, and is living that in, in the new evangelization, living what Pope Francis called the joy of the gospel. Wherever the church is moribund or dying, it's because uh, people are stuck in the rut of what I've been calling for 20 years Catholic light, uh, an attempt to kind of erase the doctrinal and and uh, pastoral and moral boundaries of the church uh, to fit the church into the surrounding culture uh, to make us acceptable uh, as the surrounding culture defends, uh, defines acceptability. That never works. It doesn't work anywhere in the world. So that's the first thing that you'd want to know about a future pope or a possible pope. Does he understand this fundamental distinction between an all-in Catholicism that, that people joyfully embrace, even under difficult cultural circumstances, and a dying, and a dying Catholic life. I would say the second thing that is inevitably going to be on the agenda in a future conclave is the continuation of serious reform uh, in the church itself. Uh, certainly the abuse crisis continues to have to be addressed. Uh, but the next pope is also going to have to take in hand, in a vigorous way, the reform of Vatican finance. Uh, this has not been successfully completed, uh, despite Pope Francis's efforts. Uh, it is leading to serious uh, problems for the functioning of, of the Holy See, of the Vatican. And it's also scandalous that there is such a lack of transparency uh, in, in the, the temporal goods uh, that the Vatican uh, controls. So I think the next conclave is going to look for someone who's, who's got a very big broom and is willing to use it quickly. First and foremost, however, is the question of a man in tune with what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Does, does this man understand that the new evangelization, a church of missionary disciples, which as Pope Francis has said, everyone understands that they have a missionary vocation, is the only church with a future. That's what you want to know before you know anything else about a future. Does mm -hmm. he get that? 
Yeah. How significant is it that Pope Francis has appointed more than half of the cardinals who are going to be eligible to vote uh, in the conclave and that he's chosen cardinals from parts of the world that weren't represented in the college in the past? Well, the next conclave is certainly going to be the most diverse electorate in, in the history of conclaves for uh, choosing popes. It's going to be the most diverse geographically. It's going to be the most diverse ethnically. It's going to be a very different kind of situation. The other thing that I, I think doesn't get enough attention in this is that while there is this now much more diverse College of Cardinals, they've not met together as a group. The last meeting of the College of Cardinals as a group was in February of 2014. They've not met as a group since then. They don't know each other. Therefore, they're going to probably want to take some time uh, to get to know each other and, and to measure each other. The question of what percentage of an electorate a pope appoints is no infallible predictor of, of who his successor will be. The conclave of 1958 was dominated uh, by, I would say, probably 80% of the cardinals were appointed by Pope Pius XII, and they elected a very different kind of pope in, in, in John XXIII, a very different personality. The conclave of 2013 was dominated by cardinals appointed by John Paul II and Benedict XVI. It elected a very different kind of personality. These things are simply not predictable on the basis of a, a kind of raw calculation of who nominated uh, whom. And the other factor that I've learned from the two conclaves during which I've been in Rome working with NBC and, and being in conversation with cardinals before they were locked up, um, a conclave is a unique microculture. There, there's really nothing else quite like it. And to try to apply normal political horse racing standards to uh, a papal conclave usually gets you into trouble. And I'm afraid a lot of our media colleagues tend to fall into that. Now, as it happens, I'll do a little brag here. I successfully or accurately predicted the election of both Cardinal Ratzinger and Cardinal Bergoglio. And in the case of Cardinal Bergoglio, I actually predicted the day on which it would happen. Now, why was that? Well, it was in part because I was talking to a lot of people who were actually going to make these decisions. But it was in part because I wasn't paying any attention to the normal uh, handicapping uh, rules. So uh, I, I suggest that everyone be very uh, prudent in their, in their uh, bookmaking on this because surprises tend to be the order of the day. Well, after the break, I want to talk some more with you about the challenges that the next Pope will face and, and what it means for a church to be in mission. We are talking with George Weigel about his new book, The Next Pope. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. 
The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. The late Flannery O'Connor is revered for her fiction, but racist language she used as a teen in some of her correspondence has led Loyola University, Maryland, to remove her name from a residence hall and replace it with that of Sister Theo Bowman, the first African-American member of the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration and a tireless advocate for greater leadership roles for blacks in the Catholic Church. Her sainthood cause is under consideration in Rome. The move is not without controversy, as renowned author Alice Walker and Los Angeles Bishop Robert Barron are among those who have signed a letter asking the Jesuit College to keep O'Connor's name on the building. The coronavirus pandemic has hit Baltimore's Mercy Medical Center particularly hard, as Dr. Joseph Costa, a member of its staff since 1997 and head of its critical care unit for 15 years, died of COVID-19 July 25th. He was just 56 years old. He dedicated his life and career to caring for the sickest patients, said a statement from the hospital's leadership. And when the global pandemic came down upon us, Joe selflessly continued his work on the front lines, deeply committed to serving our patients and our city during this time of great need. In mid-March, the Catholic Hospital in downtown Baltimore began the fast-track construction of a 32-bed acute care unit in response to the pandemic. The unit began treating patients diagnosed with COVID-19 on June 1st. Our profiles of the five men who will be ordained priests of the Archdiocese of Baltimore August 22nd turns to Deacon Justin Goff, who shares how his formation was shaped by three deceased priests, all of whom had served at his home parish, Immaculate Heart of Mary in Bainesville. He will honor one of them every time he celebrates Mass, as Deacon Goff has been gifted the chalice that Monsignor Art Bastris had used during his 69 years as a priest. There's plenty of news to follow on the education front, as the Department of Catholic Schools in the Archdiocese of Baltimore has announced plans to reopen its schools for classroom instruction August 31st. Like local public schools, Catholic schools have been closed since mid-March because of COVID-19. The department, meanwhile, has found a way to alleviate the summer slide in academics that may have been exacerbated by the pandemic, as approximately 800 students are taking advantage of an online summer learning portal. Find these stories and more at catholicreview.org. You can also subscribe to our e-newsletter, by texting C, that's the letter C, R, the letter R, media to 84576. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Paul McMullen. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM and 103.1 FM, WMBT, the Guadalupe Radio Network. We're back on Catholic Review Radio, and we're talking with George Weigel, Distinguished Senior Fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center and author of more than 27 books on theology, the Catholic Church, and St. John Paul II. His new book, The Next Pope, was published last month. 
you say in the book, George, that St. Paul VI taught us that mission is not something the church does, but it's something the church is. How does that play into Pope Francis's call for all Catholics to be missionary disciples? This, this call, which was articulated in a very powerful way by Pope Francis in his uh, apostolic letter, the, the Joy of the Gospel, in fact goes back to the Second Vatican Council. If you uh, read carefully John the 23rd's opening address to the council, it's a summons to the church to get out of uh, its own institutional uh, bastions and to go out again and make disciples of all nations. That was John the 23rd's intention for Vatican II, that it ignite an evangelical renaissance of the church. Paul VI, at the end of his life in 1975, issued the apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Nunciandi, announcing the gospel, in which he, he said just what you said. The church doesn't have a mission, as if that's one of ten things we do. The church is a mission. This theme was picked up by John Paul II, who dubbed this the new evangelization, and continued by Benedict XVI and uh, Pope Francis. This requires all of us to think of ourselves in a somewhat different way. Catholics tend to think of themselves as members of an institution. Uh, Catholics talk often more easily about the church than about the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet each one of us at our baptism was given that great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That's the shift in mindset that the past 50 years or more of Catholic history is calling all of us to. We're called to give away, to offer to others the gift that we have been given, friendship with the Lord Jesus and incorporation into his body, the church. In your new book, you say the next planet will have to be committed to the new evangelization like you're talking about. Wouldn't it be assumed that any cardinal entering the conclave would already have evangelization as his focus? Well, most would, but any number of, of members of the College of Cardinals are far more comfortable managing institutions than proclaiming the gospel, frankly, because that's how they've, they've lived their ecclesiastical lives. They've been, they've been managers more than, more than teachers, more than evangelists. Um, but I think what we've learned from particularly the past three pontificates, John Paul II, Benedict, and, and Francis, is that the papacy is an extraordinarily powerful platform from which to do that proclamation of, of the gospel. I can think of several men, in my experience, who might have made entirely admirable popes from a managerial point of view, but simply did not have that capacity to radiate publicly the joy of the gospel. And therefore, that was probably one reason why they, they were not chosen. They, they could be great managers, but they, they weren't going to be Peter on the first Pentecost. And that's ideally what we're looking for here. Some, somebody who can go out and say, okay, world, we've got some good news for you. And, and here's what it is. Uh, in Jesus Christ, you meet the answer to the question that is every human life. Let me tell you about that. 
That's pretty good. You know, you said in part of the book that no person can know all the things that a Pope needs to know. But from your conversations over the years with Pope John Paul II, Benedict Francis, uh, how do you think they dealt with such an overwhelming vocation? And how do you think the next guy will? I suggest in, in the book, The Next Pope, that it, it matters less where the Pope lives than how the Pope lives. I think John Paul II was enormously uh, successful as a Pope because he was in constant conversation with an extraordinarily wide range of people. And not simply clerics, not simply Catholics, uh, not simply believers. Uh, this was a man who, for the better part of a quarter of a century, until he really got incapacitated physically at the end, uh, had guests at his table for lunch and dinner every day, and often for breakfast, too. And he was probing their minds. Pope Benedict and Pope Francis have lived somewhat differently. Uh, that's not in their personality, evidently, to, to gather that kind of a wide range of interlocutors and conversation partners around them. Uh, but I think it provides something of a model for the future. Now, not everyone is going to be as gregarious as, as Carol Wojtyla, uh, Pope John Paul II. But if, you, if a pope is only depending on his internal sources of information, what he hears from bishops, what he hears from nuncios, Vatican representatives around the world. He just isn't going to hear everything he needs to hear. He needs to go outside the box and, and listen to people who might tell him stuff that, frankly, the courtiers or those heavily invested in the institution and its machinery uh, are not going to tell him. You, you need to know that going into the office of Peter. You need to know that you've got to go outside the institutional framework sometimes to find out what's really going on and what you might be able to do about it. Pope Benedict is now 93. We saw the, the pictures of him visiting uh, Germany to, to see his brother for the last time. Uh, he certainly looked frail. Uh, so his resignation seven years ago certainly seems to be prescient that, that he might not have been capable of doing the job at this time. Uh, given that, do you think that Pope Francis might at some point be tempted to resign as well? Uh, Pope Francis has said that he, he thought that his predecessor did the right thing for the right reason, and he would certainly seem to be open to that himself. Uh, I have to say, Chris, I spent um, 45 minutes, almost 50 minutes, with the Pope Emeritus last October in Rome. And while he was very frail physically, he was completely lucid uh, intellectually. He was on top of things. He was in, in quite good humor. We were joking at a couple of points about previous experiences we had had uh, together. So... I, uh, I believe that he took that decision to abdicate in, in an honest spirit. And I imagine that his uh, successor, Pope Francis, will, will make the same kind of, of self-evaluation. This is something the church is going to have to get uh, used to. Uh, it's perhaps something we need to think through a little more uh, carefully. It's about how, how this is done and, and who, who a Pope Emeritus is and how he functions and whatnot. But this does look something like the future, although I have no window into Pope Francis's 
mind or conscience as to how he will address this issue if it should emerge uh, in his own life. We've got just a little bit of time left. What, what are you hoping to accomplish with this book? What are you hoping to set out and help people understand about the next pope? I'm actually hoping that this reflection on the next pope helps all of us uh, to think a little less polemically, a little less ideologically, a bit more evangelically and a bit more pastorally about the future of the entire church. This is really a reflection uh, on, on the Catholic future through the prism of, of the papacy, uh, an institution unique to the church. But its description of the Catholicism with the future, I think applies to everyone. And if, if this book, um, because it's not about horse race handicapping, but thinking about an agenda for the Catholic future, helps lift the discussion of the next Pope onto a slightly higher plane than handicapping candidates. Uh, I think that'll be a good thing to have done. And I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to do it and to discuss it with you. Well, thank you. We have been talking today with George Weigel, Distinguished Senior Fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He is the author of The Next Pope, The Office of Peter and a Church in Mission, which was released by Ignatius Press in July. The book is available on Amazon, of course, and directly from Ignatius Press. You can find it there. Thanks so much for being with us today, George. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you have been listening to Catholic Review Radio. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week, available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WJSF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.